Would you pray with me? Father, so many times we try to take control of everything that's going on in our lives. I know that I'm guilty of doing that myself. God, when things get hard, I just try harder or just try to get more busy or whatever. God, I just ask that you would help us to understand. Right through those times and even through the times where we feel closer to you. Just surrender our lives to you. You want to show us so much. Lord, we just ask that uh, in this moment, as we open your word, that you would speak to us. God, just help us understand that you are a loving God, you are a just God. Amen. It's good to see you. I'm going to talk about Haggai today. Let's build something together. That's the theme. Now, it's a timely thing because um, you may not know this, but uh, we ripped our kitchen out about six weeks ago. And uh, major remodeling job, six weeks is a long time without being without a kitchen. And uh, so we've been eating a lot of fast food lately. It's not showing too badly, uh, but uh, that's par for the course. I need to tell you that on the upfront, uh, getting ready and geared up for the kitchen remodel, my wife was very reluctant to even go into the project. The reason being that several years ago, we had a shower pan leak, and so I ripped the shower out in the upstairs master bedroom, and for over 15 months, we walked downstairs to take a shower because it took me that long. I would look at that project, particularly when we got to the tile job, because I knew nothing about tile, and I was going to do it all myself, and I would look at it, and then I would just back away, just scared, spitless. And so for We got kind of used to the idea that you sleep upstairs. In the morning, you just get your toothbrush and you walk downstairs. There were some obstacles that we had to overcome in order to get the bathroom. And and those came into play. Those fears and anxieties hit us, especially with Deb when we started talking about redoing the kitchen. All right, so the key verse... And uh, there aren't a lot of verses in Haggai, as we'll talk about. But as I read it and studied it this week, I think the key verses come in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And I want to read those to kind of plant this uh, thought with us from the very beginning. Thus says the Lord in verse 7, The Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Now, what house are we talking about? What house? The house of God, the temple. Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. 
We're called to build something together. Now, in the New Testament, it's not bricks and sticks, is it? It's life upon life. We are a living building. We are a living temple built up together. And we are instructed to build one another up in in love and and to use the gifts that God has given us to make the body of Christ strong that together as the church we can we can be involved in building the kingdom of God an everlasting and eternal kingdom we are called to build something together why ah he answers it in verse 8 that i may be glorified says the lord it's all about him all for him by him and about him now that plays right into what we talked about last week isn't it you remember last week talking about obadiah if you haven't heard that message get on the podcast that's one you need to listen to because because in in the discussion of Obadiah we identified that there were five truths that we had to embrace and each of those truths flew in the face of an illusion that we try to keep going you know our denial you know that that is so strong in us and we would rather live somehow in an illusion than live in reality and live in these five truths Remember what they are? Number one, life is hard. Now, this last week, my daughter Jill's always sending me pictures of my granddaughter. Look at the one she sent me this week. Life is hard, even for an 18-month-old. She face-planted on her toy, and then she got a carpet burn. Her parents were in great distress. Life is hard. Might as well get started learning that lesson early, right? What's the second thing? Take a deep breath. You're not that important. In the great grand scheme of things, you want to think you are, you're not that important. Number three, it's not about you. History is his story. That's exactly what the minor prophets call us back to again and again. And in the development of, of the story of Scripture from the very beginning, it is about him. History is his story. It's not about you. And see, once you begin to figure out that I'm not that important, and, and it's really not about me, and it's about him, then your little story can be caught up in his much bigger story. And then the fourth thing, here's another one of those illusions. You're not in control. You may think you are. The day's coming when you'll realize, and that reality will grip you, you're not calling the shots. You're not in control. And number five, you're going to die. You're going to die. See? The minor prophets, oh, they saw it. 
It was never about them. That's why we don't know that much about any of the minor prophets, do we? We really don't. Because they're not telling their story. They're telling his story. And it's all in the, you know, when it all comes together at the end of the age. And see, all of the prophets, you realize, they're, they're looking at sort of a 3D image. There's, there's an event. There's something that's right in front of them. And then off in the distance behind it as they're trying to focus, they're seeing, they're seeing that day, the, the culmination of the age. You know, when, when God comes and makes all things right and he establishes kingdom his eternal kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And so we see the circumstances that is at hand. We have, we've got Jerusalem in disarray. We've got the temple needing to be rebuilt. But there, Haggai is telling us, but there's an eternal temple that God himself is building. And sometimes the prophet looks over the top of the circumstances at hand and he sees the distance. He sees, and, and he says, he testifies, it's about him. And when it's all brought to conclusion, it will be that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you with us now? There's your five things. And, and the quicker will have been we get and embrace those five truths... The, then the more our story is going to get caught up in his much bigger story. And this church will have impact. But as long as we make it about us and think we're important, that we're the center of the universe and the story, not going to happen. And so God does things sometimes to get our attention. Now, in Haggai's day, well, let's just uh, take pause for a moment, and let me just let you read some Scripture and just concentrate on what the Word of God says for just a moment, if you would. That's what Haggai does. He says to the people of his day, 
You're wondering why you can't get no satisfaction? I'm going to tell you why. So let's read from chapter 1 and verse 1. We need to introduce who Haggai is. So in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, which, by the way, we can date specifically as August the 29th of 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so who was Haggai? We don't know anything really about him other than we know that his name means my feast. And so the commentators, the scholars think it's likely that he was born on a significant Jewish holiday. And so he was sort of named because he was born on a feast day. There are a number of commentators that think he was probably a very old man. He might have been one of those that actually had seen Solomon's temple in all of its glory. And you will remember that you know, in the Babylonian crisis, just before the Babylonian exile, Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they leveled Solomon's temple and they stripped it of all of its silver and all of its gold some 70 years before the writing of Haggai. Now in 538 B.C., the Medo-Persian Empire had conquered the Babylonians. They had overtaken the, you know, the, uh, the city of Babylon and had conquered it. And now Cyrus the Persian, as the king, made a decree that the Jews be allowed to return to their homeland. These, the, the, the Jewish people held in exile in Babylon were finally to go home. That decree came in 538. The first expedition happened in 536, about 16 years before Haggai writes. Now, Haggai... as an old man, may have known something of the glory and the, spin, and the splendor of the past. But he's not limited by the past. We are told in Ezra chapter 1 that there were about 50,000 of the Hebrew, the Jews, who returned to the promised land, to the area around Jerusalem. That was about 20% of the population. About 80% of, of the Jewish brethren stayed because they had become sort of uh, intertwined in life in, in Babylon and in other places. And so, and so it was a, a remnant of about 50,000, but that's no small group of people that have come back. We're told in Ezra that the very first thing that they did when they got back to Jerusalem is that they built up the brazen altar so that they could make a sacrifice and so they could worship because they were finally home. And so they, they worshiped and there was a great celebration in the first year of their return. And then they started to rebuild the temple. The foundation stones were still there, 
But now Haggai writes 16 years later and nothing is being done. The weeds are growing up in the cracks between the stones. The temple is not being restored. It's not being rebuilt. That's the situation at hand. Now Haggai's book, two quick characteristics. One of them, it's the second shortest book. Last week, we looked at 21 verses of Obadiah. Haggai's book is 38 verses, but two chapters. So it's a very short little book, and it contains four oracles or four short sermons from from Haggai, delivered to, first of all, the governor, Zerubbabel, and Joshua, the high priest, and then to all of the people. And it is the easiest dated book. I mean, it's, it's so easy to date because all of Haggai's prophecy, the first one is August the 29th of 520 B.C. The last one is December the 18th of 5. 20 BC. So everything happens in basically four months. Four addresses in four months to the people. Now, its importance must be acknowledged here among the prophets because there's some unique characteristics of Haggai that I would want to point out to you. First of all, is you know, we know Haggai's name needs our feast, but in Haggai's prophecy, in his oracles, he uses the same name for God over and over again. Lord Sabaoth. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts the commander-in-chief of all of the armies of heaven. And in two chapters, he uses the term Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, 14 times. That's a bunch. Are you following that? All right. Now, keep in mind that contextually, the Hebrew children have gone back to rebuild, and not without opposition. They're being attacked regularly by the Samaritans and other tribal people. And what is the message that Haggai is sending by calling the Lord, Lord Sabaoth, the commander-in-chief? He is reminding them of some great historic truths in their past. Where does this term, Lord Sabaoth, come from? The first time we see it is in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel are literally backed up to the Red Sea. Do you remember? And Pharaoh's army is pressing down upon them. And they are about to be annihilated by the Egyptians. And the Lord Sabaoth shows up with the host of heaven and he defeats Pharaoh and his army. And the Red Sea opens to the people. The next time he shows up, Joshua. Joshua, they have entered into the promised land. They finally crossed back over the Jordan to to claim the promised land. Joshua is now leading Israel after Moses is dead. And Joshua, they have an, an early victory. And then they have a sound defeat at this little town of Ai. And they're just, they're They're frazzled. And now Joshua has to go up against the great 
huge walled city of Jericho. And Joshua has a vision and he sees the Lord Sabaoth, the, the commander in chief of all of the host of heaven. And, it, and we're told that Joshua prostrated himself. He worshiped. I think it's the pre-incarnate Christ is who I think it is. He worshiped. And he was instructed as to how he was to go into battle. Not armed for battle. Just walk around every day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times and blow the trumpets. And see what the army of God, the host of heaven, will do. Are you getting the picture? I mean, Haggai is kind of helping them to kind of go backwards for a bit in their thinking. It happens again in the day of Hezekiah in the, in the Assyrian crisis. The, the Assyrians have surrounded Jerusalem. And the scripture tell us, they tell us that one night while, you know, while Sennacherib's army in, in huge mass is surrounded the city that the Lord Sabaoth shows up with the heavenly host. And without, without the citizens of Jerusalem even lifting a finger, war breaks out in the Assyrian camp and they literally kill each other. They destroy themselves. Because the Lord Sabaoth was in their midst. You see what, I, what Haggai's doing? Do you, you understand what he's doing? When he invokes the name the Lord Sabaoth 14 times, he's, he's reminding them of some great events in the, in the past, how God moved the army of heaven for his people, if you will. There's another thing. The reoccurring phrase... The most often used phrase in the book is this one. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to. The literal Hebrew is, is this. Take out your heart and lay it on the road. Take out your heart and lay it on, your, on the road. You see, because your heart is going to follow the path. Your heart makes the decision about where you will go and what you will do. Consider your ways is the English way of saying it. But their word picture was that you literally took your heart out and you placed it on the road because your heart would, would choose the path that you were to follow. And he is constantly, four times in these two chapters, he's saying to the people of Jerusalem, take out your heart and carefully consider the path that you choose. an interesting phrase there's a third thing that makes this book important and that is alone among the prophets Haggai gets the most immediate response to his sermon he preaches in chapter 1 and the, the you know the governor and the high priest and then the people are convicted by his message and immediately they set forth to be obedient. At the end of chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, we'll, as we'll see, it says, look, verse, verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God the Lord of hosts Lord Sabaoth had sent them and the people feared the Lord immediate obedience how often does that happen man you know I, I, I just, I'd love to get that kind of response from you guys every once in a while. You know, like, well, are you really listening? You know, boy, this is incredible. He preaches, they respond. Immediately, they take, they, they take steps toward obedience. And at the end of the chapter, we're told, they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So he preached at the end of August. Three weeks later, they're out there stacking stones. They're building something. You with it? One last thing about Haggai that I love. He's kind of alone in the prophets in this way, that he emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The emphasis upon the Holy Spirit is very distinct here. After he preaches, get this, the first response of the people is led by the leadership, by the way. I think it's important that we notice it's the leadership that respond first. It's Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. And then it's the people and they, they take steps toward obedience. And as they take steps of obedience, listen to what it says. And the Lord, verse 14, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the, and the literal rendering, and the great spirit of all the remnant of the people. Do you notice that? There's a clear intention to obey. As they begin to walk in obedience, what happens? The spirit of God fills them up, stirs their spirits, begins to do a work in their lives, and they become enthusiastic about what they're doing, spirited about what they're doing. The word enthusiasm, by the way, comes from the word in theos, in God. There is, a, there is this sense in which their spirits are, uh, are renewed within them. And then in the next chapter, when they're dealing with some discouragement, again, Haggai will say to them, the spirit of the, of the Lord remains with you. And so do not fear. The activity of the Spirit of God, very prominent in Haggai. Okay, so now, so we're going to read further from there. All right? That's just verse 1. <clears throat> we'll go a little faster. There are three obstacles. There are three major challenges to the building of the temple. They are the same three challenges that we face at Willowbend Church. Trust me. I have thought about this all week. There's a great fit here. This is a wonderful word for us, okay? And so, uh, so listen, here are the three challenges. The first is this. The first challenge is complacency. Complacency. Thus says the Lord of hosts, listen, 
these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Just ask the question. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, common building material in Jerusalem would have been stone and mortar and, um, you know, you would have to import wood. And so what he's saying is, hmm, you're saying it's not time to build the temple. Let's see, but let's see, you people in Jerusalem are resting in your wood-paneled houses. It's kind of like me, you know, I've got that, now I've got that Spanish imported, you know, mica granite in my house. So you think it's not time to build the house of God? Uh, mm -hmm. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruins. Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much. Here comes the, I can't get no satisfaction. You have sown much, you've harvested little. You eat, but you never are filled up. You never have enough. You drink, but you never have you filled. You're, you drink and you drink, but you're still thirsty. You clothe yourselves with layer after layer, but you cannot get warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Sounds like inflation, doesn't it? The harder you work, the less progress you make. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Take your heart out, because <clears throat> you're going to follow your heart. Take your heart out and put it on the road. We're at a fork in the road here. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. That's God saying, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with your own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and, and on what the ground brings forth, O man and beast, on, on man and beast and all of their labors. Ouch. They had grown complacent. They made a start, and then they just kind of laid it aside and said, "You know, you know, we just we need we got to get some shelter for ourselves." Oh, okay, y'all go get build some shelter, get a roof over your head. Okay, we got the roof overhead. This, you know, what wouldn't it be nice if we could upgrade the tub? I'd kind of like a jacuzzi tub. Oh yeah, that would be great, honey. What about? Oh no, we could do that later. You know, well, 
Are you with me? And 16 years have passed. Now, folks, this ain't me preaching. This is just the Word of God, okay? All right? It's just the Word of God. I'm just, I, don't shoot the messenger. The problem, number one, is complacency. They've just kind of gotten used to it. They, they have figured out they can, they, if they just, if they will just walk down a different street, they won't have to walk by that, you know, all those foundation stones with all the weeds growing up there. And they just keep, kind of keep their attention focused on home. Minding their own business. Apathy sets in. Complacency sets in. That's the first problem. Second problem is discouragement. That's chapter 2. That's chapter 2. This is where Haggai says, says, hey, let me see a show of hands, guys. How many of you saw Solomon's temple in all its splendor? Few hands go up. See, because what has happened now that they've become obedient and they've started stacking some stones and building on the foundation, they begin to remember just how incredibly, incredibly opulent and beautiful and magnificent the temple of Solomon really was. And they began to look at those stones and saying, you know, no matter how hard we try, it's never going to be as good as it was. You ever notice how that happens in our lives? You ever notice how we talk about the good old days? Yeah. We still have some folks that talk about the good old days around Willow Bend. Right? And Haggai says, guys, let me tell you, do not fear. Be strong. Build the house. Build a house because God is with you and his spirit will remain with you. So he says, you must be strong. You must persevere. You must keep building. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Listen to what he says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all of the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's saying, guys, it's all mine. It's all mine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares peace. Shalom, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about the fact that this temple that they rebuild and they will finally complete It'll take them four years of hard labor and difficult work. It won't come immediately. And he's just, this message is delivered to the, 
you know, to the, the residents of Jerusalem one month after they have started building and already they're discouraged. One month in, they're already discouraged. And he says, he says, you have got to, you know, do not fear. The Lord is with you. And if you will build this house, the glory of the Lord will fill it in such a way that it won't be about bricks and sticks. It'll be about the glory of God. And there will come a time w- that when, when John will say, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father who was full of grace and truth. And it is that, it is that person, the person of Jesus in all of God's glory that will teach in this same temple that they built. The glory of God will come to earth in the person of Christ. So they have to overcome complacency. They have to overcome discouragement. Because, see, you and I can always look backwards. You know, we can always, oh, it was a better time. We can always look down the street and say, oh, man, look at, look at all the stuff that's going on down there. You know, and, and, and it's better than what we're getting to do. No, it's about being faithful, and, and it's about building, persevering, being steadfast in what God has called us to do. And the last obstacle, I want to call it compromise. I want to call it compromise. You see, there were some among the, you know, the children of Israel here that came to believe that just by their association with helping to build the temple, because they would show up at the temple and they would lay some stones, that that was in itself going to make them holy. And Haggai asked the question, so you have, you have something that has been made holy by God, you know, that, is, that you are carrying with you, and it comes into contact with something that is defiled. Does that make what is, what is common and defiled holy? He says, oh, no. The priest says, no, no. And he says, well, take it, look at it the other way around. So, so if you've got something that is, that is common, that is spotted and unclean, and it comes into contact with something holy, does it make that which is holy unclean? And, this, and the priest has to answer, yes, yes, you can't mix. You can't compromise. You see, and there were some that were involved in the building project that they just believed because, because look at how hard we're working to build the temple. And so they were just kind of hanging on to their petty little sins, little lifestyle issues. They were, there, there was no commitment to, to personal purity on their part, to walking upright before the Lord and confessing sin and, and, you know, and staying surrendered and walking on the path of godliness. You know, they, they basically, they could just, well, embrace whatever they wanted to in their lifestyle. And, you know, but as long as they were, you know, they were showing up at temple to do the work. Are you following? And Haggai says, no, 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 guys. No. You remember what happened before, how you went out to harvest your grain and you got hardly any crop? He says, you can bring that back if you keep this practice up. You'll be living with dissatisfaction later. And so there's the, those are the three things that Haggai addresses. And I would venture to say that there are some of us in this room that struggle with one or more of those. We get complacent. 
you know, we, we think, well, somebody else will do it. It's just not the time, you know, to be. And so we procrastinate, we, and we just, we just let things lie like they are. We won't pick anything up to help, but we just, we get complacent. Some of us, yeah. For some of us, we get discouraged. I've seen people around Willow Bend, you know, it's, it's, that, old, it's that old adage, you know, that 20% of the folks do 80% of the work. 20% to 80%. I've seen some of that 20% work and work and work and work and just finally get discouraged and just kind of throw up their hands and go, I quit. I've seen it. If you've been around here a few years, you've seen it. Burning out. Discouraged. Not persevering. Not finding the presence of God. Not going back to say, God... Lead me through this. Where are you? God, I know you're with me. Help me to take a step of obedience. And then there's some of us that, quite frankly, you know, we like the label of being a Christian, but how does it affect our lifestyle? You know, do we really live differently than the world? I mean, that's a good question. Is there anything that's distinctive about us as Christ followers that someone would say, yeah, that, they're really different? Or do we just walk in the world and then we, we think somehow that if we just do the church thing now and then, that'll kind of keep us holy? Okay, last thing. I, I love Haggai. I, I've really I've enjoyed uh, the study of these things. Here's how I want to close. I was puzzled because at the end of Haggai, the last four verses, he addresses directly Zerubbabel. And with the point of saying to Zerubbabel, you know what Zerubbabel? God has chosen you and God has given you, he, he has called you his signet, his signet ring. He's put his seal upon you, Zerubbabel. And this is, you know what's interesting about this to me? Is there's a play on words in, uh, in, uh, in, in Haggai. Uh, in, back in verse 11, I'm, I'm going to read this for you right quick. Back in verse 11, he says this. No, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19, listen. Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Is the seed still in the barn? And then, and then, he, then he directs his attention. And the last words that Haggai speaks are to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel's name literally means seed of Babylon. The commentators all say this, that Zerubbabel was born not in Jerusalem. He was born in Babylon. He is from Babylon's seed. He is from the seed of Babylon. So what is, what has happened here is Zerubbabel has been transplanted. Do you follow? He's been transplanted. And so he says, he says to, in verse 19, he says, is the seed, is zero? Same root as the word Zerub, Zero, Zerub, is the seed still in the barn. You know what I think he's saying? You know what I think he's saying to Zerubbabel? He's saying, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted, Zerubbabel. 
put down roots with people. Your transplant, yeah. Born in Babylon, but put down roots with this people and build something. And I will bless it. And not only will I bless it, but Zerubbabel, I will bless you as well. Let's pray. As we go to prayer, as your heads are bowed, my simple admonition to you would be, take out your heart and lay it on the road this morning. Where is your heart in relationship with God? Your relationship with Him. Where is your heart in relationship with the work of God that He is doing? Now keep in mind, keep in mind that this is the message of every one of the prophets that God is at work to build that which you and I could never conceive of. You know, we see uh, Willowbend Church. You know, we see a building. We see a group of people. He sees a whole kingdom. He sees a vast domain that is all his. I get that. But like Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest and the people, I think he would say to us, put down some roots with God's people. Put down some roots with God's people and bloom where I have planted you. Father, I just pray. um, I ask God that your people would be obedient to your voice as you alone can speak it in the interior of our lives, in that place we call the heart where decisions are made. And I pray that every one of us in this room would take a moment to place our heart on the road through that image that Haggai gives us. And that today we would choose the path that most honors you. that you would end complacency and apathy in us father that you would that you know that you would strengthen us because some of us have been discouraged father that you would cleanse us that there would be no compromise in us that we might achieve your glory that we might build something together. Amen.